This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the DTC pod. And today we have Emmett Shine from Pattern Brands, previously Jin Lane. Emmett has worked with brands such as Sweet Green Bonobos, Everlane Harry's, Small Direct Club, Shake Shack, Quip, Hims, every brand that you probably have stacked at your house. So um, Emmett, when we say, you know, you've worked with these brands, can you share more on uh, how, how specifically have you been engaged with these brands and the transition of Jin Lane to Pattern and of course more about you? Ramon, thanks for, for having me here, man. And, uh, you know, been been nice to get to talk to you a little bit over the, um, you know, past months or so in quarantine. Yeah. So happy to sync up more <laughs> more officially here. Um, yeah, um, I helped found Pattern right now, which is a, a family of brands, you know, focused on the home. Our first two businesses are open spaces for home organization and equal parts for home cooking. And then prior to that, I helped found and run uh, Jin Lane as a digital creative, you know, branding and marketing agency for for over a decade, and we're we're really fortunate enough to get to work with a lot of really good brands. And for the kind of second half of our career, we got to you know work with a lot of early stage startups. Um, so some that you mentioned, you know, like the genesis, a lot of it was getting introduced to the team um, from. Warby Parker, Bonobos, and Everlane sep- separately, but about the same time. And Bonobos and and uh, Warby were in market, and we just got introduced to them. Just you know, saying, "Hey, these Jin Lane guys are cool tech design, you know, building websites and doing photo shoots, and they're pretty good with like, you know, front end coding and you know, interactive design, but also making stuff thoughtful. You should talk to them." And one thing led to another. We kind of just you know got involved in helping them out and learning really, and then. Got to launch um, Harry's to market. You know, one of the founders of Warby's, one of the founders of of Harry's. Which you know, then we got introduced to Sweetgreen. Then we in Reformation, and from there, it's just kind of been like one thing after another of just being involved with these awesome early stage businesses that were really valuing um, creativity, art direction, UX, UI. Um, you know, as well as bringing a pretty novel approach to to business to the table one that was very focused on uh e-commerce testing iteration customer service you know designing these overall experiences so towards the end of it you know we're, we we helped launch you know hymns and hers and stadium goods and uh you know later house or recess we were kind of really involved in the whole creation process of the business um side by side sitting with the founders which was really fun and really rewarding. And that kind of led us to, amongst a few other factors, um, saying, you know, hey, we could go out and kind of, you know, build some of our own brands and put together a, a group of these different businesses focused for what we were experiencing at the time um, was, you know, getting a little bit older and wanting to settle down in a house, you know, with a partner, with a dog, with a kid, getting married, you know, and we wanted to try to kind of, you know, build and pull together um, a collection of of brands that we thought spoke to us for for this moment in our life. Yeah, for sure. So that's what has led um, to open spaces, right? Uh, and um, equal equal parts. 
Yeah, I think we just, you know, like when we were doing agency stuff for Gin Lane, you know, we got stressed out, you know, at one point it's a lot of work. And, you know, I think one thing a lot of our team did to kind of cope was uh, go home and cook. And we just talked about that a lot and, you know, started a text thread internally in the company and sharing photos and video. And that was just kind of cathartic and helped us like, you know, not be as stressed with like email notifications and Slack and all that. And I think for home organization, it was kind of this natural um, extension. You know, for me, my my girlfriend of many years is she's Danish. One of our lead designers for Gin Lane and now a pattern is Danish. And between that of my personal life and my professional life, I feel like I, we were introduced and I was introduced to a lot of like thoughtful ways to think about space, you know, and it's cold for many months of the year, you're spending a lot more time indoors and, you know, you, why not kind of uh, design it to, you know, create a more engaging, pleasing, thoughtful kind of, you know, home experience. So we saw that as an opportunity to introduce some of, you know, the philosophies and ideology of not only Scandinavian, you know, design principles, but we also looked a lot at, you know, Eastern Asia. So looking at Japan, Taiwan, Korea, and some of the, the principles and concepts, you know, parts of China as well, that, that they've been thinking in terms of just space, light, shadow, interiors, and then just trying to put it through a filter that we think makes sense for, you know, young adults in America today. Yeah, man. I, I, what fascinates me the most is that you, you have this alchemy that pretty much, you know, everything you, you touch uh, turns into a very powerful brand. And um, what, what intrigues me the most is, you know, you just explain about uh, your girlfriend being Danish and uh, how that relates to your own upbringing, because you seem to have, you know, an understanding of cultures, design, art, engineering, whereas most people, you know, focus on one specific thing um, and you seem to mix those up. Uh, so they create, you know, what pattern brands is today. So how do you think uh, your your upbringing uh, influenced all of this and your surroundings, perhaps your family or where you grew up? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I, I'll answer one part of it in the now and then I'll go back into the past and work back to the now. I think in cool. the now, you know, there's a guy who's a good, you know, culture business critic named Webb Smith. And he's got a website called 2PM. And, you know, I think it's called like For the Polymath, you know, and I just mentioned that because yeah. I, I, I like that he's a big proponent of like people who, you know, consider or aspire to be polymaths. I, I don't necessarily know, you know, if I'm that in a traditional sense, because it's someone who is like, in my mind, like Leonardo da Vinci, like you're an expert at so many different things. Like, I feel like I'm pretty competent at a lot of different things, but it is an interesting conversation about like, you know, when you, people that are really into business, you know, it's like, what type of specialist are you? What type of generalist are you? And I think there's a phrase, it's like a T-shaped specialist, right? So it's kind of like the crossbar of a T and then it goes down vertically. So it's like, you're really good at one thing where you can kind of go in quite deep, but you also have horizontal expansion up top. So that like, I think if you're just like a hardcore specialist, you know, like, let's just say you're like, you know, a developer for a coding language that's like in vogue, then like, cool, like you can just kind of do your thing. But maybe in a few years that, you know, that's not the hottest language or it's not as valuable and you're kind of not as left with many soft skills or inter team, you know, uh, management or navigation ability. And you just have focused on one myopic area. It's kind of a big gamble. And I think for me, going for back sure. to, I guess, childhood, you know, like I've always just been, I think, curious and 
my mom was or is an artist, you know, was a painter, still is a painter. And my dad is like kind of, you know, this like blue collar, tough, like landscaping guy, but he also has, you know, in his own way, like Long Island tough guy, but has like a romantic side where he's, you know, been a lifelong surfer. I mean that, you know, we were talking, you know, earlier about Puerto Rico, you know, where, yeah. where you're from and, you know, spend a lot of time and I, I'm not from Puerto Rico, but I, it feels like a second home to me. Cause I've, you know, been going out to the, the West side of uh, the Island, you know, to Rincon since like the early nineties. And he's been going there, there since the seventies. So I think, you know, he's, he's got his own curious kind of side, but it's mixed in with like just being pretty hardworking. But my mom is definitely more like, you know, the typical artist, not in the sense of like, she's like famous in galleries. It's just like, she just does it for the love of the game. And I think mm-hmm. true, true artists, you know, what I've learned from her is like, and I don't always, you know, master it, but just try to take a step back and smell the roses, you know? So if you're like, if you're going to take a photograph or you're going to do a painting, like you got to really kind of, you know, you can't be thinking about 10 other things, you know, it's kind of like, you got to mm-hmm. be present, you know? And so I think artists are always looking for inspiration where, you know, they're driving, I would be driving my mom so many times and she would just pull over and just take a photograph, you know, like in the film days, you know, it's like click, you know, like, and you have like 35, yeah. like, you know, shots in a roll. So each one you're really thinking about of like, uh, yeah. of a bush or a sign or just these things. And then later she'd get the the roles developed and she would cut the pieces out you know, to like make these kind of scenes of the different stuff she had photographed or, you know, and just hold them up. And then she would, you know, paint basically like a new scene or whatever it would be based on actual photographs. So I think my version of that was just like news and information. You know, I always said I'd be like a really good doorman, you know, because doormen are always supposed to like talk about like sports and the weather and other like safe topics, you know, (laughs) it's not like you know, someone answers a door. It's like, what do you think about Trump and the election? You know, like, are they yeah. like, uh, you know, like, is God real? You know, so I feel like yeah. I, I've always been good at like knowing a lot of information that I could just fit in with different groups of people to have conversations and just kind of, I don't know, find ways to relate. For sure. And off of that, what makes you excited in a project? Um, What do you look for specifically in a project that makes you excited? Because of course, you know, we're, we're here talking about uh, billion dollar brands, but at the same time, um, what you mentioned, you know, you do it for, for the love of the game and then um, good things will follow naturally. It's not the other way around. Um, so curious to what sparks, you know, excitement for you to work on a project. Yeah, I remember someone told me a phrase when I was in my 20, that, 20s that uh, money is the shadow of passion. And, you know, whether it's true or not, it sounds cool, but I, I kind of took that to heart and was like, well, let me try to be passionate about, you know, my work for something that I think I could be good at. I, I went, you know, for a few years to NYU Tisch for photography. My mom was a painter and I was like, damn, she's really good. Like, I'm not this good. There's a lot of people that are really, I grew up in the Hamptons on Long Island, like, but in like weird hippie parts, I would just see, it would just around a bunch of artists, you know, and they like many of them, you know, they were like not rich. They were, but they were you know, some were known, some weren't, but they were freaking talented. So I almost was like, yeah. it's like kind of growing up around a bunch of pro athletes that are really good, but they're not like real pro athletes. You're like, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. if these guys can't be superstars. Like, why am I going to try to pick up a basketball? So, yeah. you know, I, I can paint and draw and stuff still to this day, but I think photography for me, I was kind of like, okay, maybe this could be my lane. You know, it's a bit newer of an art form, you know, like I could, I don't know, I just 
it vibed kind of well. But then I got the photo school and I was like, oh my God, these people have been taking photos. I picked it up a year before <laughs> I went to college and just, you know, luckily got in. But like these people like were taking photographs and doing nerdy stuff since they were like five, you know? And I was like, yeah. oh man. So then I got kind of into like graphic design and web design. I just kept going into newer and newer spaces where there was kind of less people, you know, and there's more room for experimentation. I think for me, it was combining something that I was passionate with that had creativity that I also thought, you know, maybe I could get good at so that maybe I could make a living. And, you know, I had been doing lots of normal, not art jobs to pay my <laughs> bills, you know, and if, if that's what it had to be, then that's what it would be. But if I could make it not be that, then I was going to give it a shot. And so I think to this day, like to get back to your original question, I think a lot of it is expectation setting. So there are some projects where I'm like, man, this thing could be pretty big. It could, it could make a lot of money in a way that I think is cool. You know, like, oh, I saw hymns ads everywhere or Smile Direct. Like, I kind of thought that those things could be big, you know, and that they also could be kind of fun. There's other ones that, you know, I'm always helping my friends on their bars and restaurants and their small businesses. And I don't necessarily think that these are going to be like, on the side of a bus in Manhattan, but I just think they're really cool. And so for the, the, the circles of our friends or people that really like this restaurant or this bar, you know, it's kind of like, oh man, I love like, you know, the logo that's painted on the window. And I'm like, yeah, I helped on that. And like, that's so cool. Like I love the coasters, the matchbooks are great. So I, I think the expectations are kind of important, whatever the project is. Cause if you have something that's like killer creative or killer design, but the expectations are not aligned, then you could have made something look really good that doesn't work. Or you could have made something that, you know, looks really good and works, but the people that you worked with, it was a tough process because you weren't aligned. So I think that's probably something that I've learned more as I've gotten older is try to be clear about the expectations for yourself and for the people you're collaborating with. And also make sure like the people you're working or collaborating with, like, I guess, you know, that you are aligned on those expectations so that you can have fun. You know, if you want to just design a matchbook, like that's awesome. But if you want to design something yeah. that someone needs because they're going to go raise all this money, then it's a different expectation. Yeah, for sure. I think, and I think that's why you're also able to innovate so much because I was watching uh, a video of how your guys' creative process was for launching equal parts. And you guys found this photographer who wasn't necessarily, you know, the most Instagrammy uh, photographer out there and had this kind of different lens uh, where things were just raw and people were in the kitchen making a mess, you know, not trying to be uh, a perfect uh, group of friends that made no mess at all. And I think that's why you're able to have that eye because you're able to step out of the box uh, and work with things such as restaurants and helping your friend out. If you're just, you know, getting inspiration from looking at, you know, the top website design agencies, uh, I'm sure no creativity is going to come out of that. So in that video too, I also saw something related to relationship design. That was a terminology uh, that you were talking about. And I found that particularly interesting because uh, nowadays for direct to consumer, you know, we hear uh, too many of the same words of community and this and that. And, um, you know, obviously those things are important, but um, I really like what you explained about relationship design. Could you elaborate on uh, what relationship design is to you? Yeah, I think it's kind of like uh, a lot of times if you're not totally sure of a phrase, you just say it backwards and it will make sense. So it's kind of designing relationships. I don't know. It's like if you're, you know, like uh, 
you and Jay, your, your partner in the podcast here, it's like, if you take a step back and you think about your guys' relationship and you think about where you want it to go and how you want to work together, you know, I always love getting a piece of pencil and a paper and kind of writing down like goals, you know, like it'd be cool if we did this together by this time. And it would be dope if it, if it came off like this. So I think, you know, as I get older, it's kind of fun, like writing down like life goals, you know, like I want to live in this city or buy a house or get married by this time or have this amount of money saved up or buy these type of sneakers, you know, or like get this type of car or fix this relationship with my mom, you know, whatever those kind of life goals are. And I think for business, you know, people try doing the same and you call them OKR or KPI and they become very like businessy, businessy. But I think in terms of the invisible touchy feely vibes, you know, which is like the word du jour of the past five, 10 years of stuff that isn't like spreadsheet, but feels good. You know, how do you kind of design a relationship with a customer? How do you make it so that like, for back to restaurants, if you think about hospitality, it's like, you know, you walk in and a maitre d' kind of greets you and, you know, they smile and look you in the eyes and ask how you're doing. Do you have a reservation? And, you know, if you do, then they're just like, okay, awesome. It's on. But if you don't, they're like, okay, cool. Well, let's see what I can do. You know, like they just make you still feel good. And then if you, you know, you get past that stage and then they walk you to like the bar or the table and they sit you down and a waiter comes up and greets you and, you know, you pull out a, a nice napkin and then they put some bread and some water and some butter, olive oil on the table and there's cool music. You go to the bathroom and the bathroom's clean and nice and there's a candle in it and there's a little picture on the wall of the founder's grandparents from, you know, whatever old yeah. country where their grandparents made the sauce or, you know, whatever it is and it's so on and so forth for your whole time. So then you leave and, you know, you paid way more than what it would have cost to go to the grocery store, but like you had an experience, you know, so it's kind of worth it. Right. And I think for the internet, we obfuscate, you know, waiters and waitresses and maitre d's and any human kind of element. So can, you know, a, a brand have an easy to use interface with clear language that feels friendly and not like super templatized can customer service answer you on time? Can social feel that it has a real kind of voice? Like, you know, for the emails you get, are they like contextually relevant and make sense? Now, it's not to say like for pattern, for example, for us operating these own businesses, it's easier for me, especially on the Jinlane side to say these versus to do it. So like empathy, I think is also important. It's, it's very hard, you know, but I think if you're honest with your customers and they just see that you're trying, you know, hey, right now, you know, for COVID, everyone's that's fortunate enough that people are buying stuff, it's all delayed, you know, and it's like, it's hard, but you know, you got to keep trying to meet the customers where they're at and set the expectations, you know? And I think that's stuff that like we're working on and we're learning is just, you know, not trying to be perfect, but just engage in conversations, treating people like customers and forming relationships. So it's kind of like relationships that scale, you know, it's like how you treat one person should be how you treat 10,000 people and how you treat 10,000 people should be how you treat one person. Again, easier said than done, but these are the values and the pillars that, that you aspire to. Yeah, I was going to jump in real quick. Um, so I know you've talked a lot about those relationships. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your process on kind of getting there because it seems like you know your team has it figured out pretty well. Um, I just kind of love to learn a little bit more about that. Like, How do you guys get there and create that really good relationship where it seems like it's so personal? Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. I'll say like there's the gin lane part and there's the pattern part. And the gin lane part is like, let's call it like 
brand design, brand marketing, and then the pattern part would be more like in-market operations. Um, so I think from the brand design perspective, it's having like a personification of who your business is. You know, like, you know, we chose Mr. Miyagi wants to be the personification of a brand, you know, because that's the spirit that we wanted, how this business spoke, you know, to to embody. And I think you set your, you know, your your value systems for who you are as a business. You know, what are the low level technical benefits? What are the functional benefits? And then at the high level that you communicate in a conversational way, what are the emotional benefits? So I think you have to have real definition about your system of who you are. You know, it's kind of like uh, we all go through it at different stages in our life. Some people when they're adolescents, some people when they're in their twenties. But you kind of hit this moment where you're like, all right, this is who I am. You know, this is how I identify. These are my beliefs. This is how I want to navigate through life, you know, and obviously we evolve, but like when you hit that moment, you know it. You're like, okay, now I'm self-aware and I know who I am. You kind of have to give that to your business, you know, and it should come from an authentic and organic place. The second part of it is that like in market, you know, you want to have kind of like to know the, to break the rules, you have to know the rules and you have to have best practices per each of the different areas, you know, and I think that's helpful to either have people on your team that have had prior experience in knowing what to do or having advisors or mentors or people that you can give a call that have that experience, you know? So if it's customer service, you know, what's the best way to deal with, you know, a customer complains about this specific, you know, request, what's the best way internally of tracking, tracking and managing, you know, inquiries that come in uh, across all the different touch points. You know, if you're if you're thinking about an e-commerce website, right? Like you got to understand at a base level how to make a website where people are going to buy stuff, where it's easy to use. You have to also understand at a base level how to make a website where you can iterate on it per the resources you have. If you're one or two people, you don't want it to be a really cumbersome process. If you're more people, maybe you can get into split testing and A-B testing and you kind of have to know how to do that. If you're making ads, you know, which has been for some of the Gin Lane team going into pattern, a more newer area um, for us to learn about in a more methodical approach. We were more brand marketers. We've been fortunate enough to bring on some people that have, you know, the the, the classic startup kind of, you know, growth or, or advertising experience. And so it, it's understanding what are the best practices if you're, you know, you're doing ads on podcasts, if you're doing ads on Facebook, if you're doing retention marketing, and then. At a high level, if you're the entrepreneur, you're the GM, or you're the, the you know the founder, you've got to make sure all those different pieces are speaking to each other. That's the key, so that it feels connected versus disconnected. So you have to have atomically the, the best practices for how to do each area, which usually takes a little bit of experience, and then you have to know how to get teams to communicate with each other so that they're sharing information and, and coming across as consistent. Uh, to a user who's just zipping through the whole process and going from team one to team two to team three's areas, but they're not seeing team one, team two, team three. They're just seeing the brand across the user journey. I also remember off of that relationship and those stages in that process, I, as you mentioned, you know, on a high level, your job is to make sure that all those things can hear. And, and um, it's evident that you've done that job clearly where I saw that for equal parts, for example, you guys have this experience where your customers can even chat with a chef. And then I remember, you know, we started DMing uh, when, when we met and you were like, oh yeah, come check out this community, uh, Geneva for Pattern. 
and I joined and I was like, all right, well, this is dope. And then I found out, you know, Pattern build that um, app as well, which is, uh, it's a full on front app, like, uh, you know, like Slack or something like that. So um, how, how do you guys uh, see community? It's something that, you know, a lot of direct to consumer brands are talking about a lot, um, but a community isn't just, uh, at least in my personal opinion, right? It's not just creating a Facebook group and throwing everyone in there. So uh, what does our community mean for, for you and Pattern? I think community can mean a few different things. Again, it's kind of like having a point of view and, and setting expectations. And so I think one thing I would say to like, you know, if you're an entrepreneur person listening or whatever in your early stage, you know, like I think investing in community early is pretty cool. And like, I would even say, like I recommend it before starting to some extent, like more the product lifestyle. If, you know, for example, you can build an audience up per an area you're really interested in, you know, like Ramon, you're really interested in, you know, like fish and, in you know, sustainable fishing and bringing to the U.S. from the Caribbean, et cetera. So it's like, is there a yeah. world where you can, you know, build up an audience of people that are enthusiastic about, you know, certain types of fish or certain ways of cooking with fish or, you know, the Caribbean culture and agriculture, you know, for fishing and sustainability and, you know, that, that whole world. So that as you then start rolling out your, your product and your service, you have this community that you can bounce ideas off of that can be early evangelists and that there's like a platform, you know, for bringing more people in that are interested about this. And then you have something to talk and, and sell them. I think the other side of it, it just goes back to, you know, best practices. So I think like in some ways I wish like on the pattern side, we had more time and more resources to just go, you know, and invest in just pure play kind of community initiatives. But, you know, as an early stage business, we've got to make sure we're getting the fundamentals correct about, you know, how to acquire customers, how to convert customers, how to retain customers, how to build products that people love, um, you know, just running a business, right? Like if you can't, if you can't master those, then you can be as cool as you want, but you'll go out of business. And so um, I think what we try focusing on, on the community side are just ways that we can, you know, be friendly and forthcoming and meet people where they're at. And so, Again, it's just using the, the tools that we have, and there's nothing really special, but it's like, I think our team that runs email marketing, like, you know, maybe marketing is even kind of simplification. It's, it's just emailing with customers, you know, in ways that obviously we're trying to, you know, sell them more items and stuff, but we're also trying to offer up recipes and services and tips and guidance for home organization and just keep people generally engaged. I think, you know, for equal parts for texting, that was a, a creative way for us to explore and experiment you know, would this be a more intimate way to get people to talk to us about their cooking needs and then help meet them where they're at, you know, and there's some people that really use it. And there's other people that, you know, like, Hey, you know, I got my stuff. I know what, what, I'm, what I got to do, you know? So I think experimenting with these different channels is important and then really just meeting customers kind of where they're at. I mean, you know, everyone's on social media, right? So like, that's just a simple place to engage with people and, you know, offer up information that isn't too salesy. It's more kind of like, hey, here's an open spaces kind of tip on thinking about lighting for your space as we're spending more time at home, but natural light's really important. Or here's a talk that, you know, patterns hosting with someone who, you know, is a life coach or, you know, practices meditation or for equal parts, you know, we're going to bring on this, this cool chef or this restaurant owner that you can kind of you know, access for free and talk to. So I think those are initiatives that people in our community have said that 
they wanted to see. And then we, we found ways to try to go and do them. So I think that's just at a fundamental level, just listening and trying to meet people where they're at. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to switch over a little bit um, to, to pattern. Uh, I know we're, we're a bit short on time here. So um, in terms of pattern, uh, what is, what is next with pattern? What are your goals with pattern? Uh, you know, is your goal to own, you know, a thousand brands, 120, uh, 100 or 20 brands? Do all these brands have to become billion dollar brands? Uh, what's the mission for, for pattern? Yeah, it's, it's another good question. I think answering it backwards, the mission is enjoy daily life. And I think our version of that really is home centricity. So, you know, this was stuff that we concepted in 2017, you put together 2018, launched mid 2019. It's not just like COVID related. We definitely were just like, okay, we're getting older. We don't want to go out and party as much, you know, like how do we still have joy to the, you know, like a real like sense of like yeah. life and living, but just spending more time at home, right? That was kind of, that's our mission. Um, you know, we have, you know, give one, we give 1% of all revenue from our businesses, you know, to different charitable nonprofit initiatives that can hopefully help local com- people in local communities access some of the the means or tools to, you know, bring more enjoyment into their home if they can't, of course, you know, afford our products and services. So, in terms of like a portfolio, I think part of our model is that we're not we're trying to not have to build billion dollar businesses on their own because a lot of these e-com brands and we play within the, you know the modernization of like the Shopify ecosystem. Like you know, I think we see there's a lot of awesome stuff around e-commerce and a lot of awesome stuff around you know being able to test and iterate, keep your costs down and distribution. But you can't always you know move into some category and try to you know, build a billion dollar brand, that's really hard to do. So what if we just tried depressurizing it and build a bunch of thoughtful brands that people can like that are all related to the home, they all kind of interwork with each other, you know, and then they're under this, this portfolio roof of pattern, which, you know, is a stamp of approval and thoughtfulness. And then for us, you know, we think it's a way that we can build our version of a, of a larger and more meaningful business, you know, by having one team that works across these different brands. So. I think I'm pretty excited, you know, to to keep expanding our portfolio slow and steady for the categories that we're in. And once we're in a category, you know, we can expand within those categories as well. Yeah. One last question I have that's super quick, and I'm sure we probably know the answer to this, but I know you talked about part of pattern brands being an evolution of kind of you and extension of you and your life around you. Is that kind of how you see pattern growing and evolving as you continue to evolve the brands that you guys put out will continue to evolve and be more centered around there? I always think of, you know, when I do these podcasts and talks, which I like doing, you know, I always try to think of like two audiences is like people listening um, and then people on my team. So, you know, I, I think answering it backwards again, you know, people on my team, if they're listening, like, you know, I think Gin Lane revolved creatively around me a lot more, which was kind of probably by my design where like, I'm just, you know, quality assurance per the overall everything we're doing. And then we have a lot of incredible specialists that were allowed, you know, expressive freedom that wouldn't have traditionally worked at an agency. They were just like very unique individuals, you know, and then I brought on some, some great people to help on the business side, which I just don't think was my specialty in life. I think for pattern, a lot of it with myself and my partner, Nick, and some of the founding team, it, it was really what we were going through at that moment that we wanted to form a business to be focusing on, you know, ourselves and our, you know, moving it through our, our 30s 
and focusing on home. I think I'm really interested where a lot of the the team that we've brought on, where where they're going to take a lot of the 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 leadership within that larger vision. So, you know, I think something that I've been like learning a lot about is like not trying to be as much of a micromanager and control all these little elements, but hiring really good people and learning, which isn't always easy, you know, to trust them to do a great job because they buy into the vision that you were a part of creating. Um, and so for the audience also like out there, I think it's like, you always want a part of yourself reflected in, in your work, right? Whether it's your own business or whether you're working for someone else's business, but it, it doesn't have to be your, your whole identity. I think that's somewhat of like a, a, you know, a perception in America that I bought into in my twenties was that to some extent I became gin lane, you know, like it consumed me and you know, prior to that, I had a, a skateboarding street kind of line with my childhood friends called, you know, Lola. And like, that was it. I have Lola tattooed on my body. All my friends have Lola tattooed on my body. So that's how I was trained that like, you know, if you're doing something, you know, like I like rap and I like, you know, street culture stuff, like you just take it really seriously. And I think what I've learned as I've gotten older is like, you can do work and it doesn't have to be your total identity but a part of you should feel a part of what the mission is for that business. Emmett, thank you for the time today. Uh, this was a great episode. Uh, and uh, that's it, guys. This is it for the episode of uh, DTC Pod. Thank you for being here. Yeah, Ramon, Jay, thank you. And, um, you know, anyone listening, thank you as well. 